what or when or where and why. And as long as we're open to what he has to tell us, God invites us to throw our questions to him. And, and, and as we look at 1 Peter this morning, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to that. It's toward the, the last third of the New Testament. And so you find the book of Revelation, hang left, and you'll eventually run into it. Or that's why they put the table of contents in your Bible, so you can find it. But as you look at 1 Peter, Peter is uh, one of those unique characters in the Bible, particularly because he was among uh, the closest companions of Jesus. Also, he was one who was really bold, uh, not only in his faith, but also in his uh, mistakes in walking with God. And, and we know that this is a book inspired by God because it was just written by men. They would leave out all the embarrassing things they had ever done or said. And we hear most about the things that Peter said and done that he wished he hadn't done and hadn't said. But when he gets to this point in his life, we find out that he is now involved in a leadership role in the churches that God has birthed uh, to faith as people begin to follow Jesus. And, and as they become to this level or point where they're, they're following Jesus, they, they do have some questions. And, and the question is, God, I, I, this isn't what I signed up for. <laughs> this is not what I expected. I, I thought it was going to be a little different, a little easier than, than uh, I had it before I crossed the line of faith. And, and so Peter begins to address that. He begins to address the things that, that people would respond back to him after they'd gone through and say, seriously? You know, really? You've got to be kidding. This is unbelievable. This is, this is not what I was, was expecting as I, as I followed closely after God. Have you ever had that serious moment or a really moment where some things didn't quite go as you expected? I was reading about this particular wedding ceremony, and, and this, is, this is, was the experience of the couple. A, a couple was arranging for their wedding and asked the bakery to inscribe the wedding cake with 1 John 4.18, which reads, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The bakery evidently lost, smudged, or otherwise misread a, the noted reference and beautifully inscribed on the cake, John 4.18, which says, for you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. <laughs> Seriously, really? Well, this morning we're going to be looking, racing rather rapidly through 1 Peter. And as I was studying this past week, it was, it was one of the things, it was a little bit like Hebrews, and there's so much in there, how do you, how do you put it together? So what I want to say to, today is, this is kind of like um, Sesame Street, this message is sponsored by the number 7 and the letter S. What I want to do is I want to give you seven S's this morning that hopefully will kind of give you an idea of some of the major themes in this book. And even as I picked seven, I found out there were many more, but I resisted the temptation to add to the number seven, but we'll look at S's this morning. And you'll see some of the things that God wants us to understand seriously about the walk of faith. Now, some of the things are good news and some of the things are more challenging news, but let's look at what Peter had to say to the, the churches that he uh, wrote to. I want to begin, first of all, by just reading the first couple verses, and then we'll launch in. And if you have your outline this morning, you want to, might want to get to it, and I, I'm speaking faster than normal because I want to get through most of it today. Uh, and I've entitled this way, The Work of the Triune God. As we think about knowing God, we need to understand that we don't define who God is, God defines who He is. And the Bible says there is only one God. But within the one God, there are three persons. 
Now, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. So why are we saying we believe in the Trinity? Because throughout the Bible, the Bible describes the one God in three persons. Even in the very beginning, the very first book of the Bible. But even in, in Peter's words, uh, you have that. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion, and, and then he lists all those unpronounceable cities. Elect, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, number 1, and sanctification of the Spirit, number 2, for obedience, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. This relationship we have with God is a triune relationship with the one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then as he begins to write to them, he, he just offers that word of praise, grace to you and peace be multiplied. So if you come in this morning and whatever message or, or, or truth you want to hear, God wants you to know that he has grace for you and he has peace for you and his grace and peace are enough. And in fact, if you think you don't have enough, it can be multiplied. Grace, understand that God's provision is sufficient. Uh, you can even use the word help as a synonym for God's grace. It's God, God is there in time of need. And it's peace in the midst of wanting to just give up on life, that God's presence will allow you to understand he's there. He's there in the midst of the storm. But as we look at that, what is the work of the triune God? It's, it's God the Father, it's, it's God the Son, it's God the Holy Spirit doing all these things. Uh, we can put it this way, and this is how we're going to put it this morning, as we look at the seven S's that we'll look at. Number one, seriously, you are to be saved. And you're thinking, that's pretty, pretty straightforward. Well, let's look what he has to say. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And just a quick comment, what I'll be doing is probably giving a little bit of a running commentary on some of these verses. He says, I, I want you to know from the very beginning that God has given you birth. That's, that's the idea of begotten. It, it's, it's taking a person who is dead and now giving him life. And when he gave you life, what he did is he gave you hope. But not a dead hope, but a living hope. It's interesting, there's a verse in Proverbs that says that the expectations of the wicked will, will not come to pass. But the expectation of God's people will come to pass. And so our hope is not a, a, a wishful thinking. It is a living hope, knowing that God is alive and he will be faithful to his promises. And the reason that we know that this salvation is, is not something that, that is simply, again, wishful thinking, is it was, it was authenticated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we believe there's something after this life, then we want to have some demonstration of that. And that's what Jesus did. When he announced that he was going to suffer and die for our sins and then three days later rise from the dead, that was, that was the test case that God is able to give life. He goes on in verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for, what's the next word there? Salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. And then what the verse I have in your outlines this morning, verse 9, particularly the latter part, of receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Seriously, what is this life all about that God wants us to participate in as we follow Jesus Christ? It's first of all defined as, as being saved. 
Now, other than you know, a person being a lifeguard on some beach or some pool where kids are going everywhere or maybe adults going everywhere and you, and you need, a, need someone to be rescued, we don't use the word save too often. But that really is a good analogy of what God does. We're going down for the last time. And if God doesn't reach down and pick us up and draw us out of, uh, of our misery of sin and death, then we will, we will be eternally separated from him. And that's the message. It's not simply a message, well, this is, this is one of many good alternatives to maybe govern your life with. There are many worldviews, there are many lifestyles that people could, could give their life to, but the Bible is saying that this is the message of Jesus, God, coming down and rescuing us out of the penalty of our sins. And really the idea of saving or rescuing us is understanding what is he rescuing or saving us from. If you read through the book of Romans, it's just, it's just full of, of descriptions of what we're saved from. In Romans 8, 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in who? Christ Jesus. We are no longer condemned before God. In Romans 5, 9, it says that we are saved from the wrath of God. Now, now we have a message of good news. The, the good news is God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have, what? Everlasting life. But there's a corresponding bad news. The bad news is those who haven't put their faith in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is upon them. But the heart of God is he wants to rescue people from the wrath of God. The condemnation and the guilt of our sin. So seriously, seriously, we are to be saved, rescued. As God reaches out, as we participate in remembering the cross at the communion table later on, it's not just partaking of a piece of bread and and drinking a cup of, of juice is remembering that, that Jesus came to rescue us from our guilt, our, the penalty of sin, the condemnation and the wrath of God so that we might have a living hope, a reservation already given in heaven for us when we leave this place. Seriously, you are to be saved. Secondly, Seriously, you have something to do. You are to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, this is not something we normally describe the journey of walking with God to give up spiritual sacrifices. We, we use other words to describe what Christians do. But Peter came from a Jewish background, and even though most probably of the readers in this particular letter, it's called a general epistle, which means he was written, writing to generals. No, it, a general epistle is, is in contrast to a pastoral epistle. A pastoral epistle mostly written to pastors. There were church epistles where they were written to a particular church. A general epistle, he was writing to a host of churches. But any, this, listen to what he says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Uh, coming to him as a living stone, rejected e indeed by man, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones. We have a, we have a living hope and then we are, we are called to be living stones. Okay? It, it, which is an interesting play on word. Peter, his name means rock. 
Uh, but he wasn't just some, you know, dead thing on the ground. He was, a, he was a living rock. He was a living stone. Are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to, priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he began to identify those who are saved as, as people that have something to do. And what we're supposed to do is offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, if that's what we're supposed to do, we better know what that means. What does it mean to offer up spiritual sacrifices? Well, to put it simply, many times you can understand what the Bible says by just kind of figuring out what it doesn't say or what's the opposite of what it just said. What's the opposite between spiritual sacrifices? You could say it's physical sacrifices. He's making a contrast from the Old Testament. Back then they gave animal sacrifices. He said, I'm not looking for any more animal sacrifices, but I am looking for spiritual sacrifices. What are some spiritual sacrifices? Well, the Bible says that, he, that we are to offer up ourselves to him. That's what he wants most. Romans 12, 1 says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So as you think of what's our, what, seriously, what are we to do? We're supposed to give ourselves fully and wholly and completely to him. That we're not our own. We've been bought with a price, and therefore we're supposed to glorify God in this earth suit he has left us with. If God dwells within us, whatever we do and wherever we go, who goes with us? God does. And we represent him in whatever we say and whatever we do. So seriously, we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices, which begins with just offering up ourselves. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, uh, 15, that we are to do what we have already done. We are to offer up spiritual praises to him. So, so when we are gathering together and we're singing uh, songs unto him, that's something we're called to do. It's, it's not just something we're filling up a service with. That, that God wants the praise of his people. Now, it's not because God's some egomaniac up there and he needs someone to praise him. It allows us to see how big God is and how sufficient he is for everything that pertains to life and godliness and pursuing him. It gets our perspectives off ourselves and onto him, and that's where life and hope comes from. So when we offer up spiritual sacrifices, it's offering for ourselves, it's offering up praises and worship unto him. The Bible says in... Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that we're saved by faith, not by our works. But then it goes on verse 10 and says, For we are creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And when we do that, offer up the activity of our lives in a, in a priority way that, that pleases Him, that, that's offering up spiritual sacrifices. It, it's living out our faith that, that people can see Jesus in us. We saw that a lot in the book of James last week. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 that when we give unto him, it's an expression of our love for the Savior. It's, it's giving of that which God has entrusted us with and giving back to him and showing that we can trust him with financial resources. And we want to invest in what his kingdom work is. So seriously, as we think about the Christian experience, it's, it's about being saved, rescued by the Savior, and then it's offering up everything that we are and everything that we have unto him for his honor 
and for his praise. And then seriously, you are to be special. We've already actually read some verses that talk about that, but let's, let's look at verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 9 through 12, and particularly we'll, we'll focus on 9. But in 1 Peter 2, 9, he says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, which really speaks again. As we become children of God, we, we need to understand we no longer have to have a human representative, representative stand before us and God. We have different roles within God's church and God's people. But, you know, I, I am not your priest. I, I'll pray with you and for you and, and live with you and we'll, we'll do life together. But, you know, my, my prayers don't get any quicker to heaven than yours do. And, and, and I don't need you to come to me to, to pray for forgiveness of your sins because you can go directly to Jesus. And, and the royal part of that is there coming a time where we'll be ruling with God. Just, just how special that is. It, it talks about in 1 Corinthians 6 that we'll be actually judging angels. That we'll be, we'll be over that whole other realm. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, when, when God reigns here on earth, we'll rule with him as well. We are a royal priesthood that stands in relationship with him. But then he goes on, a holy nation, his own, what kind of people? Special people. Uh, let me read to you a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7, which spoke of God choosing the people of Israel. And when he did that and how he described that relationship back then and how it kind of mirrors the relationship we have now with, with the Lord as we come into faith relationship with Jesus. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. In many ways, I could restate this. Not You are to be special. You are special. But I guess the challenge here is, if you are special, then you need to act what? Special. We know all kinds of people, we know ourselves, how, how often we have a lot more to offer than we offer. It's not because we, we aren't blessed enough, it's just we don't choose to be a blessing to somebody else. And he says, you are a special people. The New American Standard, it translates this way, you are God's own possession. And just by definition, being related to God in a relationship birthed by him, that makes us special by definition. But, but he wants us to live that out. He goes on, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners, which is another S, uh, which really has the idea you are strangers in this world. This world is not your home. You're just passing through here. And in pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify the God, God in the day of visitation. We are, we are called seriously to be special people. We are special people, but we need to live like it. There, there are certain things that we will choose not to do because we're, we're related to Him. Remember, remember your parents, you know, sometimes would say that to you, you go, you are... Don't you know who you are? You're, 
You're one of my children. You can't act like this. And it was like, if, if you're my child, you're, you're representing me and, and don't live that way. Or, or when you do something honorable, you know, they're so proud. I am so excited. You know, that's my boy. That's my girl. Because you reflect upon them. And that's what God is saying. Just, just live lives that reflect on the God of this universe who you're connected to. Seriously, this is, this is our call. Fourthly, and now some action steps in the sense of, okay, in light of being special, in terms of the privilege of giving up spiritual sacrifices to God and, and being saved, seriously, you are to submit. And now Peter gets to some meddling here in terms of some of the things they were struggling with because they weren't living necessarily under the ideal realm in terms of, of government over them. They were just now, in fact, some, some writers will say this is written one year before Nero blames all the, the burning of Rome on the Christians. Some people say it was written a year afterwards that, that they were under Nero's realm and they were to be the scapegoat of everything wrong that would ha- happen in the Roman Empire. And then Peter has the inspiration by God to write these words. 1 Peter 2.13, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Uh, in your life groups this week, you'll be looking at, uh, is there any line you draw where, where you, know, you don't uh, submit or don't obey? But the, the general principle is that those who are in authority are to be respected and submitted to. The word submit simply means to, it's really a military term, it means to arrange under. And we all know, the, the, there's all kinds of forms of government. There's democracies, there are republics, there are uh, dictatorships, there are you know, fascists, socialists, communists. There's all various forms of government that have gone down the pike during human history. But what's, what's the worst form of government? The absolute worst form of government is anarchy, where everybody does that what's right in his own eyes. And we've seen that within our own, own culture. At, at times when chaos happens and everyone begins looting everything, I mean, hey, everything's free, let's go for it. I mean, they, they're just trashing everything. Well, that's anarchy. And if anarchy re- was uh, experienced throughout the land, it would just be chaos. And so God tells us that we need to learn to submit to those in authority. I mean, there are some lines that we don't cross when they disobey God's laws. But when we have freedom to obey God's laws, then we are to submit to even unrighteous authority in the best way possible. And one of the things that does, it gives us a teaching lesson to submit to God in our lives. But let's, because let's, let's be honest, there are times that we don't like what we think God is doing. And so we, we feel we have a right to say no to God or his word or whatever it might be. And, and God wants us to recognize that we are to range ourselves under those who are in authority. It goes on, verse 14, or, or to governors or those who are sent by punishment. Verse 13 uh, speaks to a, a, another, uh, what I want to actually go to chapter 5, go to chapter 5. We are running out of time, and I'm still speaking fast. All right, here we go. First Peter chapter 5, 5 through 7. It really speaks, well, how do, you, how do you arrange yourself under that which you don't want to arrange yourself under? 
verse 5 says this, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, the older I get. (laughs) Yes, all you be submissive by one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. How do you submit when you don't want to submit? By humbling yourself. By saying, okay, God, you're in charge, and, and you put things around me, and I will just humbly follow after those who are in leadership. And that's God's call for God's people. Fifthly, and this is kind of a related point to this. Seriously, you are to shut people up. All right? <laughs> this is one of Brandon's favorite verses. All right. Verse 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. If you want to shut people up that that attack your Christian faith, simply live out your Christian faith. Because, Because what are they going to point at? They're going to see, this is a person, even though I don't necessarily agree or believe everything they believe, but man, they live it. And they're not looking for people who think they're holier than them or better than them, but people who live lives that demonstrate that they really care and and their lives are are one of order and their lives demonstrate that that God is living within them. And and you will literally, we will literally shut people up when they can't point a finger at us and find something that, that, that is... That is dishonoring in terms of how we live. Verse 16, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. We ought to be the best citizens in the country. We ought to be people who respect people in authority more than anybody else. And there's a whole challenge within the Christian world in America where that's not happening. And we are not the most respectful people of people in authority. We have our strong views on all kinds of things. And we're no more for what we're against than what we're what? We're for. And so we are to shut people up because they look at our lives and they say, man, they've got something I don't have. It's interesting, the word for putting to silence, the same word used, uh, it's a kind of a Solomon, which is a, a word that, that's used to translate in the experience where Jesus would, would have people who were possessed by demons and he would speak a word and they would shut up. It, it's used of Jesus when he was out on the storms of life with the disciples and they, they freaked out and thought they were going to die and Jesus got up and said, silence, and all the storms and the winds would just calm. And, and so this is a strong word. It, 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 it really means to put a muzzle on someone's mouth. And so as we think about people who attack Christianity, we don't want them to attack it because they can look at inconsistencies in our life. Now, we're going to be inconsistent, but when we're inconsistent, then we need to run to say, hey, I, I was wrong. Yeah, I messed up. I, I fell short. I had to say that to Brandon right before the service. <laughs> you know, you, you, that happens. And God wants us, and that's, that's seriously, we are to, to silence the critics 
of the Lord Jesus Christ by how we live. Sixthly, in many ways, if this, if this message wasn't given by the, the number seven, but was by the letter S, and the number should have been the number one, this is probably the number one. Because some people look at First Peter, and, and I can understand why they would say this, because it's throughout this book, and it's seriously, we're to suffer? I thought Jesus did all that for us. <laughs> that, that's not what we're supposed to do. He did it for us, so we didn't have to do it. We didn't have to, to pay for anything. He paid the price for the sin. But you'll see this throughout this book. I, I, in fact, I couldn't figure out which verses to put down and what verses to keep in there because it was everywhere in this book. Let's just read a few of them. 1 Peter 3.14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Oh, what a great word of that, huh? When I'm, when, I'm, when I'm suffering, I'm blessed? How about verse 17? Seeing the idea about it being in the will of God. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's look at uh, chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Look at verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, again, you got the will of God in there, committing their souls to him and doing good as to a faithful creator. See, see, we're more of a testimony for God when things are not going right and, and we still respond in faith and confidence and trust. Uh, one I didn't put down here, but look at First, uh, first Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Why does God want to have suffering in our life? Well, we've already seen it. One is because it's a testimony for Him that we trust Him when, when things aren't going right. But verse 10 says this, But may the God of all grace who called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. What seems to imply pretty straightforwardly that there are certain lessons you will only learn through suffering. And so as you, as you look at Peter, he, he, he's getting to this serious point. Seriously, we're really supposed to suffer? And we're not to pray out of suffering every time. I mean, sometimes when we pray about a suffering being removed, if we could look at it from God's perspective, God's saying, I'm the one who gave it to you. Remember Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He prays three times that that thorn in the flesh might be removed from him, and God keeps saying, no, no, no. He said, you're going to keep it because I'm using this in your life for something. Now, I agree with Paul. Any suffering I'm going through, I'm praying to get out of it, and I'm looking for any solution to solve it. But sometimes their solutions don't come. And then sometimes we just say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you on your timetable. It, eventually it will, it will be over because we'll see him face to face. But God, whatever you want to teach me during this, I, I want to learn that lesson. And, and, and so often when we're in the midst of it, we're going, seriously? Ser really? Seriously? You, I, I have to go through this? And particularly if you add the word again? And, and he's saying yes. And 
Some people go through things that I just can't imagine what they're going through. But I, I know a God who is sovereign over them and will not allow them to go through anything beyond what they're able to, to handle. Now, he puts that caveat here. Now, now don't bring on suffering. I mean, if, you, if you're doing that which is wrong, you, you're getting the consequences for your own actions. That's a different type of suffering. But the suffering where you cannot control, saying, that's going to happen. And really, if, you, if we look at through First Peter a little bit more definitively, he's speaking specifically of the suffering that we'll go through because we're Christians, not just the things that happen in life. But because we know Jesus, there's, there's less that happens to us because we have identified with him and people don't like that. And then finally, seriously, you, you are to speak up. And of course, we could use, I should have used the word we, but I'd rather speak at you than to me as well. But spiritually, you are to speak up. That was supposed to be a joke. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3. All right, 1 Peter 3, um, 15 says this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, there pretty plainly, he says, all of us need to recognize, first of all, we need to be spiritually right, which simply what he means by, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart or the Lord God in your heart. He's saying set apart Jesus being number one in your life. But then he says, I want you to be ready to give a, an answer, a reason why you believe what you believe. Not in an egotistical way, that's why he says with meekness and reverence. But I, I want you to explain, be able to explain your faith. And, and so this is not a passive, serious point here. Is that We need to, to know what we believe and why we believe it. And that's one of the reasons we have life groups and a variety of other ways to learn because we want you to not only believe, but we want you to know why you believe and then be able to share why you believe with people who don't know why you believe. And that's a lifelong pursuit. So what's this point, the point this morning? The point is, seriously, this is all good. Even though it's not all easy. I mean, it can't get any better than being saved, being rescued from our sin. And again, that, that invitation is offered to everyone. And if you haven't crossed that line, this is the day to do it. Seriously, we have something to do. Offer up spiritual sacrifices and, and, and giving ourselves fully to Him and giving Him our praises, to, to giving Him our resources, giving Him uh, our, our, the works of our hands. Seriously, we are to remind ourselves that we are special people, so we need to act like it. We are to be submissive to people in authority. We are to, to shut the, the critics up by living out the life. We should not be surprised by suffering, but suffer for doing good, not doing evil. And we need to be prepared to speak up. Now, Peter lived this out in his life. He also lives it out in his death. We don't know biblically how the apostles died, but tradition has a variety of stories as far as what happened to those who were, who were on the front line and the visible ones in the Christian faith. The story is told of Peter that when he was in prison, it was not only him but his wife. And as they tried to re have him recount his faith, they, they really anticipated that he would not be willing to do that. 
in the normal way. So what they did is they decided to crucify his wife first and gave him the option of sparing her life. And as she called out to him to remain faithful, then they took his life and he was crucified upside down. Seriously. But it was all good. Let's pray. Father, we are challenged by other people's faith and faithfulness. And Father, we, we just want to acknowledge that it's all good. Not that it's all pleasant or easy, but it's all good. Father, for where else would we go to find life that was made for us by our Creator and our Redeemer, who provides all good things for those who know Him and love Him? But Father, as we go through life, and it might not always be easy, might we be faithful? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.